Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Schultz, a great follow at AJ Schultz24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's pretty close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. Partner, the trade deadline is now less than three weeks away, so off the top, I think it's time that we take a look at the divisional races so we can forecast who are the sellers and who are the buyers and take a quick peek at the first-round matchups. As well, I'd like to highlight a team from the also-ran category in each division that you and I think might be a contender or a team that will be on the uptick in the very near future with their uh, current profile. So with that said... I'm going to turn it over to you, AJ, as you break down the contenders and pretenders in the Metropolitan Division. Yeah, I mean, the Metro, uh, you know, for all the last couple of years, we've had a lot of, you know, parity could be anybody's game to or uh, division to win there has really broken into to two halves here. You've got, um, you know, maybe you could even maybe say three. You've got, you know, Carolina, Pittsburgh and the Rangers. All north of 70 points, Carolina's pushing 80, uh, very clearly in, you know, playoff spots in in terms of uh, the three uh, divisional spots. And Washington is at 65 points. They're pretty much clear of, uh, you know, of of the wild card spot there. So, uh, you know, it's. It's pretty set. Obviously, you know, there are still games to be played uh, close to, you know, a little less than 30 games for most teams. So things could still change. You know, somebody could go on a a run. Somebody could uh, take a dive. But for the most part, that seems pretty straightforward in the Metro. You know, I'm not I'm not sold on Washington. They'll make the playoffs and they, they have Ovechkin, obviously. So they're not going to be an easy out for anybody, but I'm not really sold on their chances to make a deep playoff run here. Uh, so I guess I would maybe throw them in the pretenders category, despite the fact that they have the wild card. Um, Carolina is going to be darn near impossible to beat at this point. I mean, they are cruising uh, to basically having uh, home ice. They could have home ice advantage. It'll come down to probably them or, or Tampa, but um, they've put themselves in a good spot to potentially get that, which is huge. They're 19-4-2 and two at home, so uh, Carolina is going to be really hard to beat. Uh, as far as up-and-coming teams, look, we've talked about this before. I don't know why the Islanders aren't playing well. Um, I, you know, I think it's a fact that, you know, maybe you have to look at schedule. We talked about they started the season on like a 16-game road streak because the arena wasn't done. But they, it's not like they've been significantly better at home either. They're 10, 10, and 4 in the new arena. Um, they're going to play a bunch of home games coming up here to kind of make up for that. But they've got something like 17 games in the month of March. I mean, it's astronomical. So, you know, maybe it's a schedule factor. So I think next year I would expect them to bounce back here. Um, new Jersey is another team here that uh, I think has some really – Strong up and comers, you know they they are starting to put some pieces together. Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, uh, Sharon Govich has been a real breakout player defensively. You know they've got uh, some guys that aren't really making the lineup every night, like a Ty Smith, but could certainly be there. And and they're going to get about nine million dollars worth of cap space. 
They need better net mining, uh, not even necessarily better net mining. They need healthy net mining. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, Jonathan Bernier have both been out for, for a while. So uh, they're a team that I would keep an eye on heading into next year. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, tinker with the the goaltending market, see what might be an option as uh, somebody, maybe a veteran that could push Blackwood uh, and potentially go from there. So, um, but as far as playoffs go, I, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. I expect it to be the four teams that I named in some combination of, of that order. Well, and AJ, it's much the same story in the, in, in the Eastern Division Conference with the Atlantic Division. Tampa, Florida, and Toronto seem to have set themselves, separated themselves from the rest of the division. Boston is closing the gap there in fourth place. And there will be no crossover, at least the way we project it right now. It looks like Carolina is the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference, so they will play the second seed among the wild cards. And right now that looks to be Washington. So that leaves the matchups as follows. Uh, If the playoffs were to start today, Tampa would get Boston and Florida would get Toronto. Those would be two exceptional series, I think, uh, in in this division. Uh, Three of the top the three top teams are three of the top six teams in the NHL current standings. It's remarkable how they uh, they fit, finish that way at this point in the season. But they're all based on high-octane offenses, of course, the two-time champs at the top of the list. And they're starting to gain some traction with a five-game winning streak that has put them in first place in this division. Florida's kind of taken a step back with the current three-game slide. And the Maple Leafs kind of in between the two teams. Uh, trudging along there at 5-4-1 in their last 10, but they have that high-powered offense and the special teams in order for the most part, so that should be an advantage for them come down down the pipe. But among the the non-contending teams, there's a lot to like about Detroit and Ottawa. I've spoken glowingly about some of the players on Detroit. They've got two of the top rookies in the NHL this year, and they've also got a fine leader in Dylan Larkin, center on that top line and they put some nice pieces around these guys and they have a a goaltending tandem that should quite frankly be better than they've shown this year so a lot of pieces in order they've got uh, a lot of draft picks in tow and but the same can be said for Ottawa and I really like the look of the Ottawa team when you think about the fact that they've got one of the brightest uh, young leaders in terms of talent in the NHL as the center team around Brady Tuchuk. And uh, that last name resonates with me because even their father was uh, a linchpin of, of his teams because there was he was like a unicorn. Uh, physical specimen, scoring touch, and his t- sons both have that. And Brady Tuchuk is the guy that's the centerpiece of this team. But they have some nice pieces around him. Tim, Tim Stutzley, another high recent draft pick. They've got him at center ice, and he's finally gaining some traction there. But they, And they've got a fantastic defenseman, offensive-minded defenseman, Thomas Shabbat. So some really exciting pieces. They're building around them. They have a whole host of draft picks. And if the ownership decides to ever set, spend some money, they could do some damage even in free agency to, to fill out this roster going forward. I'm not counting on that letter piece, but I think that before too long, this is going to be a team to be reckoned with. And you can also say the same thing for Buffalo Sabres. They, they are also in the, in the middle of a major rebuild. And I got a very close look at them last night. I didn't like what I saw because they <laughs> the Maple Leafs five to one, but uh, boy, they got some talent there. And, and again, uh, in the mold of Brady to Chuck, I love the, the size and mobility of their top forwards, top wingers, and you can add the fact that Jeff Skinner's kind of found a rebirth and a, a 
rediscovered his scoring touch, the same with Kyle Pozo. But you you pair them with the likes of Victor Olofsson, Peyton Krebs, Dylan Cousins, the, uh, Tage Thompson. They've got a whole bunch of guys that that uh, are, are talents that uh, that make your mouth water when you think about the potential if they realize that. And on defense, they've got a really great defenseman in Rasmus Dahlin that they can build around back there. To me, the question mark is in that. They have to do something there. Maybe there's somebody in the minors that can take the bit and run with it, but this year it's in the hands of Craig Anderson, Dustin Tukarski, one at the end of his career, another guy, a career minor leaguer. So that's the, the primary area of concern that I have, but maybe Uka Pekalaukanen is going to be a guy that that fulfills the expectations everybody has that he'll be the goalie of the future there. But uh, two teams that I would watch for in this division. AJ, what about the Central? Yeah, I mean, the Central, the, the story is the same as it's been the last couple of years. It's it's Colorado. I mean, right, 40 wins. That's three more than anybody else in the league. Um, you know, 84 points overall. They're, they're going to lock up. You know, the only question is whether or not they win the President's Trophy. I, I don't think there's any, you know, any chance that somebody's going to catch them, you know, barring something drastic, um, in, in terms of winning the central division. And then from there, you know, everything gets a little bit tighter. Uh, St. Louis has 70 points with, you know, Billy Huso leading the way. Minnesota rounds out the three automatic qualifiers from the central at 65. Um, but they've got Nashville at 64, Dallas at 63 right behind them. And I'll even include Winnipeg in that 57 points. You know, they're obviously on the outside looking in, but, uh, they're probably going to get Nikolai Ehlers back. If Connor Hellybuck could figure out his game, like that's not, that's not an easy team to beat. So, um, you know, I really think uh, things are pretty wide open in the West a lot more. I mean, you, you look at that wild card hunt right now, I think it would go to Nashville and Dallas um, and you'll, you'll touch on the Pacific, but you know, just quickly Edmonton and Anaheim are right there in that 60 to 65 point range. So there's any number of teams that could be in the mix. I mean, Minnesota could even challenge for that second spot uh, against St. Louis. They're, they're obviously within striking distance. In fact, they've got two games in hand on the blues. So um, yeah, as far as, you know, contenders, it's obviously Colorado. Um, I still put Dallas in the pretender category that there's just no, consistency from this team and some of it has to do with Ben and Sagan who have just you know sometimes they're hot sometimes they're not Alexander Radulov's been playing like fourth line role for them I don't know what's going on there I mean this this team is a bit of a shambles if if I'm being totally honest I love their defense you know Klingberg Heiskanen Ryan Sutter uh, Jake Ottinger has been really good this year so you know they've got some goaltending too um, it's just, you know, that forward compliment is, is just so weird to me. Um, as far as like up and coming other teams that can contend, like there's really not, everybody is who they've been for a couple of years. And St. Louis was Stanley cup chance like three years ago. Um, you know, Billy Huso kind of taking over the number one job. Um, but you know, that's not, not a bad thing for them. Chicago, Arizona, they're going to be in rebuilds for a while. Winnipeg, I think if they don't make the playoffs here, you know, they obviously uh, had Paul Maurice stepped away. They could decide to tinker their lineup, but that's not going to move them forward. It's, you know, probably going to move them back towards a rebuild. So I don't really see any up and coming teams in the central, uh, in my opinion. I think it's probably a little bit different uh, in the Pacific. Right, Paul? 
Absolutely, AJ. It's different from all the other divisions in a couple of ways. Uh, there is a clear front runner in Calgary. They have a five-point lead and three games in hand over the second-place club, which is not Vegas. It's Los Angeles. That's a surprise from what we expected at the beginning of the season. I thought they'd be contending for playoffs. No, no, Paul, don't say it's a surprise because I am out there having said that Vegas wouldn't make the playoffs. Let's Absolutely. I'm not going to shy away from that. <laughs> I will admit it looks like an outrageous take still. Um, you know, they're, they're sitting third, but I mean – 64 points. Uh, I just want to clarify. No, we absolutely. That, we're, that we'd be surprised to see them in third. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I was going to get to Vegas, but, and I will in a minute, but I, I got to give kudos to the Los Angeles Kings because they found a way to uh, uh, plug in two centers that are two of the best two-way pivots in the league for my money when you consider the way that they work on the defensive side of the puck. I'm talking about Philippe Deneau and, of course, Anze Kopitar, the club's captain. And that's really where the thing begins in terms of looking for the formula for success for Los Angeles. And you pair that with a couple of goalies. They have a very strong tandem in Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson. Those are the two cornerstones for their success this season, I would say. And uh, you can add a close third in terms of Drew Doughty performing heroically as by far the best defenseman on this roster. Below that, you come to the Las Vegas club, and it's a club that's been decimated by injury. They just couldn't find a way to put uh, their star forwards together for much of the early part of the season. And it only got more complicated when the prospect of Jack Eichel coming into the mix uh, has reared its head. And uh, he's fit in very well, but uh, they have had to uh, commit Mark Stone to long-term IR. I, I suppose that, that he is still significantly injured. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in that role. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But I, I look forward to the playoff if they get there to see what that line could look like if he and Pacioretty can flank Eichel at some point in the postseason. But it's a hell of a gamble when you consider that they put Stone on IR thinking maybe let's wait and see if he can get better by the playoffs. We'll be there. But you look at the standings today, they have 64 points. The Anaheim Ducks are in fifth place in the division with 61, although Vegas has two games in hand. It's very tight fit over here. And uh, the fact that Edmonton is, is also in that mix, they're in the middle of those two teams. That's three teams vying for, for two spots. And I think they're going to go right down to the wire. And if Vancouver gets hot, you might have a fourth team in contention. So the Pacific division seems to be the one that really is up for grabs. I think the only team with a, a safe haven uh, looking ahead is Calgary right now. And uh, I put Anaheim in the, in the category of teams to watch for in the future because we've seen a bit of the future now with some of their youngsters playing central roles here. And why not start with Trevor Zegers as highlighting one of the key uh, components of this youth movement here. He's been a fantastic addition to this club and may well run away with the Rookie of the Year award uh, if if uh, the Detroit vote is split, I think that he's, he's a guy that can slide through and maybe get the nod there. Um, Sonny Milano is healthy again, and that bodes well for this team. Another youngster with a scoring upside that they're going to count on. And, uh, of course, they've got the leadership of Ryan Getzlaff, who's uh, going probably for his last lap around the NHL here. And wouldn't it be nice to see him get a playoff run? But a key development most recently is Adam Henrique shifting over the wing. Uh, he was more of a score-first center, but now he's very well cast alongside a puck distributor like Getzlaff. And uh, I almost want to begin in terms of the team profiles by talking about the Anaheim Ducks. We'll swing into that mode, AJ. 
and uh, go through the rosters of all these teams and the recent developments here. And and I, I will repeat, Adam Henry, known more as a center, but now they have the luxury with Getzlaff and Zegras as the one-two punch. Henrique moves over to the fulfill a uh, need here on the flank on the left side. And so then now they got three credible sources of offense on the left wing, where before they, they might have been struggling to find one. Henrique, Milano, and Steele line up there. On the right side, they've had a fantastic season out of Troy Terry. But Ricard Raquel and Jacob Silverberg are pretty serviceable guys too. So we used to malign this team for a lack of depth. I don't think you can anymore. And I'm curious to see what they do on the back end. I think when we talk about the teams going forward today, we're going to highlight some players that might not be here next year. And when you look at Anaheim's defense, they have a surplus and a desirable surplus at that. They have John, Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm, both on the last years of their contracts. Uh, Manson is out with a finger injury right now, but I'm sure he, he'll be back soon and teams are going to be lining up to try and make a bid for his services and Lindholm. I believe one or both of them could be gone by the trade deadline if this team falls out of contention. If they stay in contention, they might walk at the end of the season without getting anything for these two guys. So a real quandary for an Anaheim team that maybe has performed better than the management expected them to this season. For Arizona, a one in one week for them. And, you know, they, at this point, they want, you know, the guys that are potential trade pieces to be, you know, highlighted on, on the scoring as much as possible. Unfortunately for them, like of all the guys that they have that are going to be uh, UFAs this year, and there's like nine of them, um, <laughs> those aren't the guys that scored this last week. That that fell to Jacob Chisholm with a goal and three assists, Nick Schmaltz with two goals as well. Um, you know, those are two guys that they actually have signed long-term, four more years for, for Chisholm and, and five for Schmaltz. So, um, you know, obviously – it's it's selling season for for them, of course. As as we talked, you know, we've seen a few minor moves. Carter Hutton was was sent uh, away. Obviously, we t- we touched on that, and uh, I think what you're going to see is maybe opportunities. You know, you look at their their depth charts right now. You got uh, you know Mayo is is getting minutes. Moser is getting minutes. I think you're going to see more and more of these kind of younger guys. Um, that they're going to call up and, and give opportunities to kind of see what they have in some of these, uh, you know, players that that haven't had those chances quite yet. Um, and, you know, eventually here we're going to see guys hide out the door. Again, I wouldn't expect Chishon or Schmaltz to be two of the guys that go just because they have longer-term contracts. I would expect, uh, you know, you'll see Kessel, uh, his name is going to circle around forever, I'm sure. Uh, maybe somebody takes another look at Alex Galchenyuk for, you know, half a season. I think Anton Strallman could be a strong pull, you know, 35 years of age, uh, you know, obviously in the back half of his career, but still a, a very quality shutdown defenseman. If Arizona is willing to retain half that salary, you're looking at only about 2.75 uh, that you would have to fit in there. So he's he's a player that could be moved as well. AJ over in Boston, they have monkeyed around with the top lines, uh, the top two lines, and uh, they may have found something here with Jake DeBrusque. He's been on a scoring tear ever since he joined Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. That adds one more player to the top six that they didn't figure on earlier in the season. That's been a one-line team for a long time, uh, uh, as well as some serviceable components below that. But now they can point to two strong scoring lines when you consider a second unit with 
Taylor Hall and David Pasternak on the wings. That's five formidable forwards if DeBrus can continue to do what he's doing there. But it's the center position at the, at the second and third slots that I have an issue with. I, th- I know we're talking about Eric Halla and Charlie Coyle on a, all season long, trying to chip in uh, some scoring on the second line, but they flip-flopped in terms of roles uh, all season long. It's, it's been a bit of a black hole in terms of scoring, a lack of scoring production that I think they might be addressing that spot at the trade deadline. If they can find a true scoring playmaking center that would move these guys down, that would really stretch this offense big time. And they have to be disappointed by the season that Nick Polino's turned in offensively only a couple of goals in on his ledger and then a, a myriad of injury concerns all season long it just can't seem to in, shake the injury bug craig smith started out like a solid contributor on the top six but he's fallen off big time as well so i think i look at an up, upgrade offensively here the defense is what it always is it's it's a serviceable group that has a couple of name recognition types when you consider charlie mcavoy as power play linchpin and Matt Grizzlick is growing into a role as a second scoring option here. But beyond that, it's a, a, a tough group and a physical group that will make, uh, make them a tough out of the playoffs. And of course they have the goaltending in the hands of a couple of, uh, unproven guys I'll say Jeremy Swayman very young in his career and Linus Ulmark over from Buffalo having a decent year in uh, in Boston's net but it's a far cry from the era of Tuka Raska until uh, I see more out of those guys. Well Paul you mentioned the Sabres as, as kind of an up-and-coming team and to highlight that you look at the average age of uh, their current their current roster here their forwards come out to 25.8 uh, the defense even younger at 24.3. And then, of course, there's the net binding that has an average age of 36. But, <laughs> um, you know, they are. They're, they're a, a relatively young team. You know, uh, over the last week, Tage Thompson had three goals. He's 24 years old. Uh, Dylan Cousins had four points. He's 21. Uh, you know, even Jeff Skinner, who had three points this last week, 29. So still heading into, you know, maybe coming out of prime, heading into prime. I don't know where you want to term the, the prime mm-hmm. portion of your career, but um, he's not over 30, obviously. So they're, they're a young team that is definitely making strides here. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, 21 years of age. Uh, they've got Matias Samuelson up right now. He's another 21-year-old defenseman that could be a factor heading into the future. Peyton Craves, 21, uh, a forward for them on his entry-level deal. So they, they've definitely got some talent here. Uh, I'm not sold. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the, the goaltending and what other options they have. I'm not sold on what, what else they have. Now, Lukanen is 22, um, so, you know, I'm not ready to write the, you know, close the book on him or – or his career or anything like that. Um, but that's about it. You know, from there, they've got Michael Hauser in the system, Aaron Dell in the system, both these guys, career backup slash minor leaguers. Uh, you know, you mentioned, obviously, Tokarski and uh, Craig Anderson. So there, there's not a ton of options. I would highlight that as, as a point of weakness for the Sabres. You know, one uh, possibility, they've got three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. Uh, there's Florida's and, and Vegas's pick. So I, I think there's an opportunity there. Maybe they could go out and kind of deepen that, that goaltending pool, see what's out there, uh, and go from there. Because I agree with you, Paul. That's 
kind of their one weakness if they're going to move from the constantly rebuilding team uh, like Arizona to actually being a contender for the first time since Dominic Hasek was their goalie. In Carolina, this team continues to roll along, as you implied when you looked at this division. AJ almost conceding them first place is, is a foregone conclusion. They went 2 0 and 0 and 1 last week. And Frederick Anderson continues to enjoy what I think is going to turn into his best season as a pro. Uh, the numbers bear that out in terms of the goals against and save percentage, career highs at the moment in both categories, and just continues to do what he's done throughout his career to be one of the highest goalies in terms of all time win percentage, which. Uh, Still comes as a surprise to some people when I mention it uh, in uh, media scrums uh, that I've been attending in the last the last couple of years. Uh, he continues to chug along. Maybe he's been lucky to land in certain spots at a good time for those teams, but I think he's been a contributor all the way. And uh, in terms of the breakdown of the way this team looks, I think that their offense is almost as deep as any in in the, the certainly the. Eastern Conference, and you look at the center depth, it's Sebastian Ajo, one of the finest playmaking centers in hockey. Vincent Trocek, I think, is a prototypical number two, good face-off guy and a good good distributor of the puck. Jordan Stahl, your prototypical checking line center, big size, and a good offensive touch as well. And Jesperi Kotkaniemi, the experiment is, I think it's a de- you can deem it a failure, but it could be, be more because of a lack of opportunity for this guy. Just couldn't crack the top three lines, and so relegated to a fourth-line opportunity. That's a testament to the depth here when you consider that they have the likes of Nino Niederreiter, who has enjoyed a rebirth of his career here, Derek Stepan, uh, a longtime veteran who was in a top-six guy in previous stops, Martin Netzcash, a bit of an injury-riddled campaign, but still uh, legit second-line forward. So not very much opportunity for a guy like Kotkaniemi to move up here, but nevertheless, a good experience for him. Seth Jarvis, even in nice depth piece, he was in the top six for a while earlier this season as well. So all kinds of offense. I think if I really focus here, I, I think there's a bit of a concern on the back end that's exposed right now because of the likes of Brendan Smith and Tony D'Angelo being out of the lineup. They've had to push Jalen Chatfield in to a third-pairing role here, AJ, and that tells me that they might want to be looking at some defense depth heading into the postseason, and they got to hope that uh, Freddie Anderson stays healthy and finally gets that monkey off his back in terms of not making it past the first round in the playoffs. For the Flames, you know, we – Uh, I don't think anybody expected anything less uh, when they grabbed Tyler Toffoli uh, via trade there. But, uh, you know, seven, seven points in, in seven games there uh, with, with the flames, five goals, three of those points came with the man advantage. Like we knew that's exactly what they were going to get. They were going to get an extra guy on that third line to give them some scoring touch and, and maybe uh, extend out, make them a little bit not so top-heavy. Uh, they haven't maybe gotten quite the bump you would have hoped out of Sean Monahan over that stretch. He's got three points in those seven games uh, playing with Toffoli. Um, but I, I think it can come, and, and that's going to be huge for them if they can uh, figure out you know more than just him on, on that third scoring line. Um, if there's a concern for the Flames right now, I think it has to be – the net mining, and not because Jacob Markstrom has been bad, quite the opposite. Um, the fact of the matter, he's played in 18 of their last 19 games. He's going to get the start again tonight. So that will be 19 of 20 games 
that Jacob Markstrom has played in. Now he's got 13 wins, four losses, a 2.03 goals against average. Like everything about it looks great other than how much he's playing. I think at some point here, they're going to need to dial it back a little, get Daniel Vladder a few games um, just to, to rest up uh, a Markstrom here. It's, it's, it's been a heavy workload. And, you know, if you're a, a Flames fan, the last thing you want to see is him kind of sputter out. Now, I will point out they have uh, three, no, four back-to-backs in the upcoming month of, month of March here. So, obviously, they're going to have some opportunities to use Vladder and, and give, uh, you know, Markstrom a few more days off. But I, I do, if there's a concern about this team, that's it. I don't know if it's a big concern, but it's something to monitor if I'm a Flames fan. And in Chicago, AJ, just last night, I heard a rumor that will kind of get your ears to perk up a little bit. Patrick Kane may be a piece that moves before the trade deadline. He's got a $10,500,000 cap hit for this year and next. He's 33 years old, still scoring like he's always scored in his career, which is one of the top points per game guys as long as he's been in the NHL, and he continues to deliver those goods on a nightly basis for a team that's destined to not make the playoffs in all likelihood. So this year and next year on the books for $10.5 you wonder if they're going to go to him and say, if there's a way that we can move you to a contender, would you go? Because he has a no-movement clause, AJ. That's the kicker. Obviously, he's earned that right within his contract, current contract structure, but a bombshell when it was dropped in the intermission of, of the Leaf broadcast that I was watching that that he may be in play at the trade deadline and any team that can fit him in would be obviously chipping into his salary for for the remainder of this year this year but also next year I'm hoping for a bit of a break from the Hawks as well and you can imagine the Hawks will be demanding a King's ransom to get get uh, in exchange for for Kaner so that's something to watch for I think and beyond that I think the Hawks have to be pleased that they're kind of doing a rebuild on the fly with the likes of Dylan Strom and Alex Dabrinkat, uh, Dominic Kubelik. These are young young players that that uh, make the grade this year and have, have been top six guys for much of the season, taking the next step in their development. So that bodes well for the offense. And you've got Kirby, Doc, and Brandon Hagel, who you can throw into that mix. Oddly enough, AJ, I've been hearing Brandon Hagel's name in contra- in uh, possible trade deadline deals, but I don't quite get that. He's guy been a guy that's showed me an offensive upside and a good two-way game. And he's only on the books for $1.5 million for the next two seasons. So why would a team want to get rid of a guy like that? I'm scratching my head, putting him in a doubtful category in terms of the likelihood of him moving. But a lot of other people think that he might. So another name to watch there. On the back end, Seth Jones, there for the duration in Chicago, they committed to him long term. And he's doing what he need, he was expected to do, to beat a linchpin on the back end. And lucky for him, he gets to play with his brother on a daily basis now, too. Caleb Jones in the mix in the top four. They're going to build around those two guys going forward. They have Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan, an incredible top four, if you ask me. But beyond that, it kind of takes a bit of a nosedive as Eric Gustafsson's best days are behind him. Ditto Riley Stillman. And Jake McCabe as well fits in as a depth defenseman. I think they're looking to upgrade back there. So maybe a young prospect coming or two coming back in any deals for anybody that goes out the door, they'll be focusing on improving the defense. And then you wonder about Marc-Andre Fleury, AJ. I know you have some thoughts on what he might do. Does he stay put for the sake of his family, or does he want to chase after a couple playoff runs to 
end his current contract situation. So some questions about Chicago's available available players, but topping the list is number 80, 86. Well, I'm going to throw some some ice water on the, the Kane rumors there. Uh, you know, this actually I saw yesterday. Uh, he was asked if he wanted to finish his career with, with Chicago. He said, uh, yeah, I think so. There's probably a lot of time to determine what's going to happen in that regard. But let's be honest. I love Chicago. I love the city. I love the fans. The organization's been amazing to me and my family. Doesn't sound like a guy who's really going to be willing to uh, waive uh, a, you know, a no movement clause there. Basically saying that in spite of an upcoming uh, or current rebuild, uh, he doesn't sound like a guy that's wanting to go anywhere. So I, I would be shocked um, if Patrick Kane was moved by, by Chicago. Uh, in Columbus, uh, you know, there's really not – I feel like we're almost at the point of the season we could just stop talking about some of these teams, Paul. Like, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. Um, they're They're – you know, 57 points. They're eight back of Washington. That's probably a hill too big to climb. Uh, you know, they've had some injuries with the goaltending. They've at least got Elvis Merzlikens back. Looks like Jonas Corposalo could return sometime soon. Um, you know, their best defenseman, Zach Wierenski, has been out for a number of games. Up-and-comer Adam Boquist has been a, a sideline for them as well. Uh, you know, as far as offense goes, Oliver Bjorkstrand had a good week, three and one. Uh, line A, two goals, one assist. Uh, Jenner, uh, you know, was starting to produce as well. Voracek just continues to somehow avoid scoring goals. I, <laughs> I don't really uh, totally get it. You know, this is a guy that's got six career 20-goal seasons under his belt. Uh, he's got just two goals this year, but 38 helpers, um, which is just astronomical. 40 points in 52 games. Uh, he had five more assists this last week. So, you know, if you need assists, Voracek is is clearly your guy right now. But um, this team's not really going to go anywhere as far as the playoffs go. I would expect them to be sellers here heading into heading into the deadline. They don't have a ton of picks right now. Um, they do have two in the first round, but uh, they're a little light on picks. And, and maybe, you know, there's always seems to be somebody, Paul, that's willing to take Max Dome for some reason. And he's uh, he's going to be a UFA next year. So maybe there's a, another team willing to snatch him up and see if they're the ones that can finally rehabilitate him and make him yeah. AJ, I got I got a strong opinion about that. That I started. A, I think I started a rumor locally because I I mentioned it to you. I think off the air a couple of weeks ago that the Leafs may be a team that he winds up with because he fills a bit of a need there. They they have to get more sandpaper into this lineup. They have to get a little bit more uh, of a solid offensive piece uh, to round out their offense. I think. Uh, I'm looking at Alex Kerfoot and thinking, is he properly cast as a top six forward? I'd like to see him in a third line role. And that's the opportunity where Domi jumps in as a top six forward here to fill that need. He won't be an expensive ad because of his current contract winding up. And then the opportunity to play in in the town uh, where his father played, I think that's got to be a tremendous draw for him. And it could be a a situation where there's a true home discount possible. But how about this for another bombshell partner? Patrick Liney's an, an RFA. Do you really think that he's going to re-sign in Columbus? 
I mean, you're coming off a $7.5 million cap hit. I don't see it happening. So maybe do they shop him another drop, a bombshell uh, like the Patrick Kane one? You want to try and throw some water on that one? I mean, the only thing I'll say is, like, who wants to take on the headache of trying to negotiate that RFA deal? I mean, that's that's part of the problem there. Um, it's not like, you know, you, if there's an upside that you're not totally renting him because you still get his rights after the season. Uh, he can't, you know, really negotiate anywhere else. Uh, offer sheets being a whole different <laughs> discussion for a different day. But, um, you know, so it's like, do you want – yeah, he's a great player. Do you want the headache for, for figuring out that next deal? So that's that's the cold water I'll throw on that one, and I'm not sure anybody wants to take take that on, and I'll let you take on Colorado. All right. Well, I got one of the league's uh, signature teams right now in terms of the performance this season. They've been outstanding all season long, and it's a top six that uh, they got five fixtures there, I would say, uh, the second line right wing is a, an area of a bit of a need now with uh, Val Nijushkin out with an injury. It's not deemed to be a long-term thing, but it's an upper body hurt, and he's expected back in the lineup. But I could see them wanting to try and upgrade that part of their lineup specifically. They've got room for, uh, I think, a bit of a depth piece on the back end as well. Bowen Byram dealing with a bit of an injury situation right now as well. They'd like to get about... You know, most teams that, that expect to go deep in the playoffs, you want to have eight serviceable defensemen. On this team, I count six right now. So I think there's room for at least one more. And uh, Ryan Murray is a guy that doesn't make the grade for me in terms of looking at the current makeup. So there's room in the bottom four here to, to upgrade on the blue line. Darcy Kemper has been a, a standout in the Nets. I thought that he would be a good fit, and he's evolving into that. Pavel Fransuz. Has, has been up and down as a backup, but I don't think they're looking necessarily an upgrade in goal. I think their focus will be on the blue line. Well, in Dallas, I mentioned, you know, a bit of inconsistency here. Good week for them, 2-0-1. Jake Ottinger getting all of those starts, 9-3-4 is the save percentage there. But as I mentioned, their leading scorer last week, Paul, I'll give you a dollar if you can guess who it would be. Um, I'm guessing you're not going to come up with Michael Raffle, that's for sure. Two goals, one assist for him. Uh, Ryan Sutter with three points as well. Uh, you know, Pavelski, a, a trio of helpers, but the, the guys, again, that are making the big money here, Jamie Benn, no goals in those three games. Sagan, just one assist. Like, they're not going to – they're just not getting what you need out of guys making that level of money. I mean, look at those contracts. Tyler Sagan, 9-8. Uh, 9.85, Jamie Ben 9.5. They're the highest paid players on this team, you know, and the only reason they're able to make that work right now is because Ottinger is still on his entry-level deal. He's making less than a million dollars against the cap um, to be the starting goaltender every night. Obviously, he's going to need some money next year, uh, and they're going to be in a tight spot. I doubt they'll be able to fit both Pavelski and Radulov back. They both need new contracts. I think either one of those guys, if Dallas, you know, we're, we're about a little over three, a little less than three weeks away. If Dallas goes on a skid here at all, Pavelski and Radulov, I think are names that could certainly circle. I mentioned Radulov's numbers haven't been great this year. He's been on a fourth line. Um, but would you try and fit in a, a Joe Pavelski under your cap? Absolutely. I mean, even if you had to take more than 50%, like $5 million, be hard to do. 
Uh, of a $7 million deal, it's obviously not easy to fit that in, but certainly, um, you know, you'll do what you can to try and get that guy on your lineup right now. But it's going to depend on what happens to Dallas here over the next two weeks. Uh, if they're on the edge, you have to imagine they keep those guys. And then, you know, are they, I think that's been probably the biggest problem that we've highlighted over the last several years of Dallas is they're always just right there. They're never like in the mix, but they're never out of it. And so they're never in a position where they could like sell off assets and, and maybe build, you know, some draft picks or something. I mean, they literally, they have zero extra picks over the next three years. Now they have all of their own picks, but like no extra picks anywhere. They just haven't been that active because they are always right on the edge of whether or not they're going to actually be a good team here. Yeah, in terms of the salary cap and how much you can trade of a, a person's contract, I think the limit is no more than 50% of that. And there is a cap in terms of dollar figure too, I believe. So there's two factors to consider there when you're talking about trading a big contract, AJ, just to be clear for some of our listeners. And in terms of the Detroit Red Wings, boy, you have to be happy as a fan when you consider that you've got two of the best rookies of the, of the year candidates in Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. Moritz Sider's already up to 40 points, AJ, as a scoring defenseman. That's remarkable for a first-year defender, and we haven't seen that too much uh, in terms of projecting that he'll be over 50 points on the season. That's a, a real find on the blue line there. And similarly up front, uh, to me, Lucas Raymond is like found money at this point, the way he's exploded offensively on the scene and formed a really nice partnership with Dylan Larkin, who I think is one of the best young leaders in the league and uh, a guy that they can really build around here in terms of the future. I, I think they got to be a little bit disappointed with what they got out of P.S. Sutter so far this season, AJ. He was a fixture in Chicago for a couple of seasons and I thought that he would build on what he'd done there. He only has 23 points so far this season. You need a little bit more offense from that position. I think he's capable of it, so hopefully he takes the next step. He's been hampered by the fact that the line mates have been inconsistent on that second unit with Robbie Fabry and his injury situations and then Tyler Bertuzzi uh, trying to qualify himself for for games and, and being disqualified from others north of the border here because of his back status. But hopefully that won't be an issue next season. And uh, he's a very talented forward. So they've got the makings of a pretty nice top six there if uh, some guys take the next step. On the back end, they've got some veterans here that need to be replaced. Nick Letty, Mark Stahl, they're getting a little bit long in the tooth and they haven't really insulated the goaltending, both Nadelkovich and Grice sporting goals against north of three. Uh, I think they've got to improve the back end here. And uh, if they can move out a piece or two in, at the trade deadline, I wonder who they might be. Maybe Robbie Fabry is a guy that, that team's taken interest in. He's a guy with some scoring upside and might attract some interest there. But I don't think the pickings are very big in terms of what's possible to help teams. Vlad Nemeskov is a nice piece too. It won't cost too many, too much money to get him. He's on a $2 million contract that expires this season. Ditto for Sam Gagne, but he's more of a bottom six type. So really Detroit has got to keep doing what they're doing, building in the draft and hoping to spend some money in free agency and lure some people around the young core that de develops here. For the Oilers, uh, it's going to continue to be uh, really two themes for them. Uh, one, when are they going to get Ryan Nugent Hopkins back? He, uh, suffered a shoulder injury, considered week to week. This is the second time this season that he's 
uh, faced an extended absence. He previously missed six back in the, uh, back in January, and they did not really do well during his absence. Uh, just a quick look. I think they won one of those six games that he was gone. Now, so far with his two games that he's been sidelined, uh, they've split those contests, so not quite as dire uh, this time around. But obviously, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, a huge impact on this lineup as a whole. Uh, they've got a guy in Derek Ryan who stepped up with four points or four goals rather uh, this past week in three games. And then the other storyline is going to be the net mining here. And I think basically it's going to be just whoever's playing well will continue to get the start. They they can't afford not to, you know, not to do that right now. It's Miko Koskinen. He's going to, you know, play in back-to-back games here. Uh, not, two games of a back-to-back, going to play in consecutive games, let's just be clear, Um, after a a shutout against the Flyers, faced 39 shots in that outing. Uh, You know, in you know the shot totals here, the Flyers are not a team that you would expect uh, to have to stop 39 shots against. Uh, They played Florida, and he faced 47 in a winning effort on that. So obviously some defensive concerns. In Edmonton, that they're they're not uh, giving him the the backup that they need here. They did just get Duncan Keith back. That should help, uh, kind of eliminate some of that. Uh, but yeah, as soon as they can get Ryan Nugent Hopkins back, I think it's going to make a huge impact on on their lineup and will help them push for you know a playoff spot. AJ, we know the Florida Panthers have got that playoff spot locked up, uh, so their concerns are just maintaining the health of this lineup right now, which is pretty good. Uh, you look at uh, the top four lines, they're all healthy. The only piece offensively that's on the sideline, Joe Thornton. and But he's kind of almost a half coach for, for this team. He's uh, clearly near the end of his career, hoping for a cup run. And I'm sure he'll be a factor in the postseason on, on the bottom six here, if, if and when he gets healthy. But they've got a great look among their top six. Anthony Duclair, Mason Marchman, Carter Verhage, all three of those guys taking a big step forward in their development this season. And uh, Marchman and Verhage, the biggest, maybe Marchman, the biggest surprise of all, but Verhage right behind him, uh, doubling down on the season that he had last year uh, to break through offensively. That means that they have a really nice-looking third line when another rookie has made a bit of a an impact here at Anton Lundell, flanked by Frank Vitreno, a serviceable depth piece who's been always been a consistent scorer from the bottom six here, and then Sam Reinhardt, who can move up and down this roster as well. So offensively looking great. Question marks for me are in goal and on defense. In goal, Sergei Bobrovsky's had a very nice turnaround from the last couple of seasons in his career, but uh, I'm concerned that if he breaks down or or falls into a funk, where do they turn? Because they got Jonas Johansson up, and uh, they don't. I don't know if they want to bring Spencer Knight uh, up at this stage of the season, uh, other than an emergency, perhaps to let him continue his development down in the minors because he didn't start very well this season, quite frankly, after all the accolades that were expected, he didn't really live up to that expectation. And I think another stint where it doesn't go so well for him would be more of a, uh, a bad thing for his development. So I think they're very committed to keeping him out of the picture so he can uh, make, make some adjustments and, and gain some confidence with a good season down in the minors. But I can see an upgrade on the back end here. Uh, look, if they've got five serviceable defensemen here, I'm, I'm questioning the depth on the third pairing between Brandon Montour and Lucas Carlson. I think I would take Montour 
seven days a week, but Lucas Carlson is not quite ready for prime time, in my opinion. And I think I'd like to see this team get an upgrade on the blue line. So that's where I think their focus will be, searching for a defenseman to round out uh, this six-pack here. Well, I'll be brief on Los Angeles because we did kind of cover them at at the top of the show. Um, You know, I think their biggest – uh, you want to call it a, a deadline acquisition would just be if they could get Andreas Athanasio to be healthy for any period of time. And you know, we know he missed, uh, let's see. I mean, he's got more, he's got, he's in his fourth stretch of games where he's missed four or more in a row this year. I mean, he just cannot stay in the lineup. And so I think that would be the biggest addition that they could make to this team right now would just be to figure out how to get this guy healthy. Um, you know, they're, they're splitting the net mining duties. I would expect that to continue. Maybe Cal Patterson takes a little bit of an edge there because he's been outperforming quick, at least this last week. Um, but yeah, Paul, you, you know, it's, it's some of the old guys, some of the, the younger guys kind of combining, you know, to know with two goals, uh, Anze Kopitar had three points this last week. Um, so they're they're in a good spot, I think, to kind of hold on where they're at. And again, if they can't get Athens to see you healthy, then I think that's maybe where they're looking at at deadline here is getting some more forward, uh, like wing scoring winger help uh, to give them a little, little more roster depth and, and flexibility. In Minnesota, my thumbnail is going to be brief here too, AJ, but it's really tinged with a surprise element that their offense has caught up with their defense in terms of the development of this team. And that's what made them a real contender this season. And I I think almost a lock for a playoff spot, if I can project it at this point. Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Matt Zuccarello, and Kevin Fiala, three very credible wingers. And they've been joined by a fourth, Matt Boldy, who has been almost a point-per-game guy since he's been called up only a few weeks ago. So the wings on the top six look very, very good. Then they got some great size in Marcus Molino and uh, Sukil on the third line with him and Joel Eriksson Eck and Brandon Duhane. So a credible nine, top nine, when you consider that Ryan Hartman and Frederick Gaudreau hold on to the top, top two center positions. Maybe they're looking at an upgrade in the center slot there and to push Gaudreau down in the lineup. That's one area that I might be concerned with. Um, defense, uh, this has been the cornerstone of this team for a few years. Even though Matt Dumba's out, the hope is that he can rejoin this club at some point. Currently, the status is that he's been ruled out for the current road trip. It's a lower body hurt, deemed not to be a long-term thing. So when he comes back, he joins the likes of Jared Spurgeon, Dmitry Kulikov, Jonas Brodin, and Alex Goligoski. has five veteran defenders back there, six if you include John Merrill. So they've got a wealth of players in the top six positions and some experience even below that. So I really like the makeup of this team. I think they're going to be a tough out in the postseason. Nobody really wants to face them because of the how high their ceiling might be. And they're backed by a, a really solid tandem in Cam Talbot and Capo Kaka. In Montreal, uh, you know, the, the price tag is probably just getting higher and higher right now for Ben Sherratt. Had three helpers over the last four games here. Uh, and, and that's where I think this team is at, obviously, uh, you know, trying to pick and choose their spots where they're going to sell off, um, you know, new, new coach, new GM, uh, you know, running the show. Part of the, you know, part of the big question mark here is, you know, who's, who's going to come back when, if at all. I mean, talk about guys on IR, Paul Byron, Jonathan Druin, Christian Dvorak, Joel Edmondson. Um, that doesn't even talk about Carey Price, who's been out all year. Um, 
And we haven't heard much about David Savard, another guy who's been sidelined for a significant amount of time. So uh, all that to say, Andrew Hammond is going to be between the pipes <laughs> for them tonight uh, going up against the Flames. So there's your DFS tip for the night. Uh, Andrew Hammond has three appearances this season, two wins, pretty solid uh, in those two two outings. But uh, let's remember those three appearances are the first ones he's made at the NHL level since 2017-18. So, yeah, I don't expect things to go well for him tonight uh, going up against Calgary. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, Montreal – Getting some of those guys back would certainly make them a, a better team. Um, none of them really is in a contract spot where you would expect them to be moved. Uh, you know, Druin, maybe he's got, you know, this year and next year on his contract. Um, but a couple of these guys are a little bit longer term. And I mean, honestly, I don't think you'd want to trade Christian Dvorak at 26 years of age if you're, you know, trying to build for the future. So, um, it, it's just going to be an interesting uh, situation to watch in Montreal and see who else heads out the door after, you know, the you know Tyler Toffoli deal that we already saw. AJ, New Jersey, they can tell the fact that they have some nice offensive pieces. You highlighted them in your thumbnail of the standings in this division, uh, particularly with Sharon Govich and Dawson Mercer becoming first-line wingers on this team. I don't think you could have forecast that at the beginning of the year. Pavel Zaka and Jesper Bratt were more in line for those responsibilities, even maybe Andreas Johnson. But that bodes well for the development of this offense behind a pretty nice one-two punch at center with Hughes and Heischer. I think the only possibility of a player movement here for a team that's not destined to make the postseason is might some team take a run at uh, bringing in P.K. Subban? I don't know. The contract is a big hit at $9 million and what, what part could be retained for the balance of this season. But beyond that, I don't see any other pieces that they will move that or could move that would interest a, a potential buyer. Jimmy Vesey's admired in a fourth-line role. He's on an expiring contract with almost a minimum cap hit, but he's bounced around and really not successfully over the course of his last couple of years, so why would you? And in the Nets, they, they're hoping they found something in Nico Das. He's been a guy that's been plugged into service and done done uh, decent in terms of the early cameo return, better certainly than what John Gillies has shown. So uh, the goaltending could be in flux. It needs to. We need to see a healthy Mackenzie Blackwood, though, to find out if he's a viable number one. That's the concern that they have here, and he hasn't been healthy this season. Ditto for Jonathan Bernier, who looked like he would be a fine addition to this club, but has spent too much time on the injury list as well. For the Predators, I mean, the only question to ask right now is what is wrong with UC Saros? Uh, last seven games, he's given up four goals in four of those. He's given up three goals in another two of those contests. And really, you're talking one good outing. Now, if you want to cut him a little slack here, you could argue that the teams he faced here, let's see, Dallas twice, Carolina, Florida, Washington, Tampa Bay, Winnipeg, um, all pretty solid, although that uh, loss yesterday to Seattle doesn't look quite so good, giving up four goals on 31 shots. So um, he, they continue to use him a lot, which is surprising to me. Uh, you know, you look, he's played in all but two of their last 22 games. So a heavy workload, despite the recent struggles. Uh, I think that's indicative of you know, what they think of David Riddich, uh, which, you know, I know, I know you're, 
you're a fan of Big Save Dave, but he's not making too many there in, no. in Nashville just because they're not using him. Uh-huh. Uh, so they they need to right the ship and and quick. And you know, we mentioned off the top, they're sitting fourth behind Minnesota in the Central, but the Wild have three games in hand on them. They've got Dallas chomping at their heels. Winnipeg's not too far behind. And let's remember the wild cards can come from either division. So they also have to worry about Edmonton being uh, a point behind them. Anaheim is three points behind them as well. Uh, So they're not by any means safe where they are. And if they continue to skid here, uh, they they are going to wind up on the outside looking in uh, this season. Well, and that brings us to New York Islanders that, looks like a team that is going to be on the outside looking in. I, I know I had high hopes for this club, but maybe there's just too many miles on this team with the game style that they play, a really grinding physical style that really is, is an admirable thing to, to do, but it's got to take a toll. And it seems like it did en masse to this group this season, AJ. And uh, they only recently can, can point to being fairly healthy, although most currently they have Barzal out and Chara out of the lineup with minor injuries, it seems, but uh, that disrupts their, their, their form for sure. Missing two key pieces like that, the number one center and probably the most visible part of their defense. If you talk about the physicality and defensive acumen of Sedano Chara, the fear factor, quite frankly, and uh, Ryan Pollock has been healthy uh, finally. And now that Adam Pollock, they're not playing these guys together. And I, I think that's a mistake because I think they're one of the better shutdown units that I've seen in the NHL over the last several years. But at least we've seen a positive step in the development of Noah Dobson. He's had a very nice season, AJ, and uh, is a DFS value play uh, that I consider when the Islanders have a, a favorable matchup uh, in their circumstances. Anders Lee is healthy. Zach Parise has been a bit of a disappointment and he might be a guy that they can move at the deadline because if he plugs into a team in the top six role as he is here with a little more success, he could be an impact player still, although he's at the tail end of his career. Maybe they give him a chance to get a playoff run somewhere and see what they, they can get in return. I don't think it'll be anything more than mid round draft pick at this stage. Since the start of February, the Rangers have allowed the fewest goals in the league at two per game. That's less than Calgary, less than Boston, less than Dallas. Uh, Really winning games based on their defense. Their goals for over that same stretch is just 2.63. Pretty far down the list in in terms of offenses here. They do have a 33.3% power play. Again, since the start of February, that's the best in the league right now. So there, there are uh, plenty of things that are working well for the Rangers right now. Most of it on the defensive side, they are still getting plenty of solid production on their last, uh, this last week, they played four games, uh, went two and two, five helpers from Adam Fox, three goals from Lafreniere, uh, Panarin had four points, Strom with three. Uh, they're not a very deep team. If, if there's a knock, on this club right now, I would say that it's, it it is the forward depth defensively Fox, Truba, Miller, Lindgren, like they're pretty solid back there. Um, But you get outside of the top six with Capo Caco being on IR. They're not expecting him back until closer to the deadline. You're looking at Greg McKaig, uh, Ryan Reeves, Barclay Goudreau. Like these are the guys, Johnny Brodzinski, like that make up, their bottom six right now. Uh, so obviously getting Kako back would help that. 
Uh, but I think they need to go out and maybe get a center. Uh, that would be my my recommendation. If I was running the Rangers, that would be what I would target. Um, maybe somebody that's, you know, one of the, a, a mid six center, it's not going to be a cheap price tag to pay centers come at a high cost, uh, generally speaking, but really they need somebody who can play with Kako and, and give them some more depth on this club uh, and, and go from there because everything on the defensive side of the puck has been really good lately. In Ottawa, they've been dealt a tough hand in terms of their injury bug this season. They have been without Drake Batherson for much of the year, uh, a guy who figured to be a part of their top six. Scott Savran, who was kind of taken to be the team policeman out of the lineup. And Chris Tierney, a guy who should have been one of the top two centers here. So despite that, they've had some really good performances out of some usual suspects. I highlighted Brady Tuchuk and Tim Stutzler, who's finally coming around a little bit uh, in a center role. Connor Brown has been... Uh, a bit of a non-factor here, I'll say. And maybe that's because of all the movement in the rest of the roster, but still a guy that you can really plug and play. In terms of impact to other teams, I wonder if a team would be looking at the goaltending here in, in Ottawa and considering Anton Forsberg. When he's played, he's played fairly well recently, and he's only on the books for $900,000. If a team's looking for goalie insurance, they could do a lot worse than finding him in a backup role in their circumstances. We've highlighted a couple of teams that are top-heavy in that role. I'm thinking maybe Florida would be a really good partnership for a guy like a Forsberg as a bit of insurance behind Bobrovsky. On the back end, they need to see some players uh, added to the mix here on the blue line. So I think if they're, they're looking for futures, they, they want to get some defensive prospects in the fold because I like what I see on the offensive side. I'm not as convinced that they've done a very good job in building their defense uh, with quality and depth in Ottawa. For Philadelphia, they are maybe going to get some good news on the injury front. Looks like Kevin Hayes could be back. As early as Saturday, Wade Allison might not be too far behind, though they might put him in the minors to ease him back in. Nate Thompson has been skating, similar situation, starting to work his way back. Of course, Couture and Ellis are all but done for the season, so that's a big, big factor there for them. And I, I think injuries are what derailed them early on, and then just, you know, they haven't gotten – uh, you know, the, the youngsters that have stepped into roles haven't, you know, stepped up in, in huge, significant ways like you might have hoped. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, I don't personally think, has really been the, the acquisition they thought he was going to be. I mean, you talk about a guy four 40-point seasons while with Buffalo. He's got just 13 points in 46 games so far this year. Um, so, you know, you have two big defensemen, that you bring in and expect to have an impact on your team and, and Ristolainen and Ellis, Ellis gets hurt. Ristolainen doesn't do much. Uh, it, it, it definitely limits uh, what they've been able to do. And it's, it's why they're sitting uh, near the, the very bottom of the, the league standings. Um, you know, they're close to being, uh, you know, if it weren't for your, uh, your favorite team, the Habs being so abysmal, <laughs> They'd be getting pretty close to the bottom there. Well, I think we can both smile about that. Our arch rivals are struggling this season, if I may say that. But uh, that leads us to our usual time where we take a break, and we'll be back with our look at the remaining teams and our DFS plays ahead of tonight's schedule on RotoWire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, but let's have another reminder of, for ways our listeners can reach out to us, particularly at this time of year where we're making changes to our lives in trade talks with a lot of our uh, pals in our leagues. And so, AJ, how can people get uh, these trade proposals to us and have us evaluate them? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to get in touch with both Paul and myself is is on Twitter, at uh, AJ Scholes 24 for me. That's AJ S-C-H-O-L-Z 24 Paul is at Statsman22. Um, we're very happy to you know interact with you in that way. If you want to see some of the other stuff that either one of us is doing, you know, I mentioned in a, a tweet earlier today we were on uh, DraftKings uh, YouTube show. If you're if you're into DFS, the sweat we were on that earlier. We're doing this today. I just dropped a, a betting article for NHL. If if you're more of a, a gambling man, if you will. Um, so all that stuff you can find, uh, 
you know, by following us on Twitter again at AJ Schultz 24 and at Statsman 22. Well, AJ, I'm going to defer to you shortly. Uh, the, the Penguins are uh, coming off a week that they were two and one. So you have to be somewhat happy with that. And of course they're led offensively as usual by Malkin and Crosby. It looks like those guys are primed for another nice run down the stretch and playing at the top of their game. You mentioned Brian Rust. Uh, we mentioned Brian Rust earlier today on the, the the DFS show that you referred to, and he's playing very, very well in top six role. So a real compliment to whoever he's playing with. Most often it's Sid the Kid right now. And uh, what else is going on in Pitt? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 storyline hasn't really changed in terms of what they need to do um, at the trade deadline here. Mike Matheson is week to week. That's obviously an impact. Um, but I think they feel pretty confident in guys like Mark Friedman and, and Pierre Oliver Joseph to, to step in. Uh, you know, they've been getting really solid defensive work from Chad Ruedel all season long. They just signed him to an extension. And obviously this team set itself in buy mode a, a couple of weeks ago when they gave Jeff Carter a two year extension. Actually, it was over a month ago now. Um, you don't sign a 37-year-old center to a new two-year extension if you're going to suddenly start, you know, breaking things apart and, and you know, uh, going into a rebuild. You just don't do it. So clearly uh, the new, you know, the, the team brass there and, and Hextall and Burke think that they have another two years to, to potentially uh, make another run here at some point, and it will come down to Crosby, Malkin, and Tristan Jari, if I'm being totally honest here. Uh, he's been very good this year, but we obviously all saw what happened in the, the postseason last year, pretty significant collapse by him. I think they even feel better about Casey DeSmith over the last month here. Um, so really, it's about getting Malkin a winger, and, and that's what I think you should expect them to do uh, at the deadline here. Kasperi Kapanen just hasn't been working out. And I think they need to make a change there. I'll lead us then into the Seattle Kraken, who, uh, you know, I think there were maybe some high hopes that they could uh, replicate what the Golden Knights did a, a couple years ago, even being the expansion team. Um, but obviously that hasn't worked out for them. Uh, you know, it's not helped by the fact that they are now without Jared McCann, who's missed the last three games while on injured reserve. They're without Braden Schwartz, uh, who's been out for a while since late February. So um, some of the guys that clearly, I mean, I think maybe Schwartz would have been second line, but you're talking about two top six forwards. They're out of the lineup. Obviously, Brandon Tanner's been gone for a while. Um, that's a you know an X-factor kind of player that might have been a top six option for them here. So there just isn't uh, – you know, there isn't the depth here uh, that that uh, Vegas was able to put together. And when you're missing some of those big pieces, things suddenly start to kind of fall apart the rest of the way. And Philip Grubauer has been downright disappointing for a guy who was a Vesna Trophy nominee last year. AJ, over in uh, San Jose, they got to lament the fact that they've got some big dollar players on the books and a couple of them are taking a bit of a backward step in their career progress, most notably on defense. I'm looking at Mark Edward Blasek. We haven't mentioned him because he's quite frankly more known for the defensive side of the puck and certainly a top four defender. And if he wasn't on the books for a $7 million cap hit for the next four years, 
maybe a team would take him if he was on an expiring deal. He'd be the type of guy that you would like to plug in. But the fact is he's on the books for four more years and his decline has been precipitous in the last year and a half. So boy, oh boy, is that going to be one of those ugly contracts that we talk about for uh, a year or two uh, in, in the future of this podcast, God willing. Uh, certainly they've gotten yeoman service out of Brett Burns as a top end defenseman who has uh, cost them a pretty penny. But the other guy that seems to come in to this discussion as well as Eric Carlson started the season very well, but he's on IR now and he's been for a while. He's another guy on the books for $11.5 million for the next several seasons. So they're killing themselves at the cap window right now. And uh, the best thing they can do is try and get some future value from some of the elements on their roster that might be tradable pieces. Uh, The most likely to be headed out the door if you believe the rumors are is Thomas Hurdle. He's on the books for $5.6 million, but he's certainly an upgrade to almost any team's offense, I'll say, with the potential that he shows. He can play any forward position, and uh, if uh, if well-suited, could be a point-of-game guy. He could be on any team's first line almost. So that's how good he could be. Nick Bonino, uh, a guy on the books for $2 bucks, probably a guy that they'll hold on to to balance things with some of these high deals. But you got Ryan Zingle, who they claimed off the Maple Leafs. They've got Cogliano and Barabanov, who have had decent seasons on the books for minimum value at around a million dollars. But they can be depth pieces that other teams look for. But otherwise, this team is hamstrung by the aforementioned big dollar deals that I highlighted earlier. Well, maybe they'd be willing to give Tomas Hurdle at a relative discount to the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> I would love to see Hurdle playing on a line with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, I think the Penguins probably couldn't take his whole cap, but uh, they could probably fit half of it uh, <laughs> under the cap. So Quit your lobbying. Come on. Let's, let's make it happen. Tomas Hurdle to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I, lo- I love this plan, Paul. I-, I love what you've come up with here. Um, in St. Louis, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the goaltending and Billy Huso, you know, stepping into that top role, um, been a little less, uh, otherworldly of late. He's allowed three or more goals in each of his last four contests, but fortunately for him, since the start, uh, again, since the start of February, uh, the second hottest offense in the league has been the blues at four. 0.22 0.22 goals per game behind only Calgary. Um, you know, they they are one team, though. I will say they have struggled on the power play. They're in the bottom 10 here at just 16%. Uh, again, for the month, the month of uh, starting with the month of February here. So they obviously need to figure that out, but they're healthy. You know, they they've had some injuries at, at periods throughout the year. Um, but Tarasenko is in the lineup and available. Braden Shen, O'Reilly, uh, Buchnevich, like all their kind of top guys here are healthy. You know, Perron with a really good week, three goals, two assists. Um, he's he's a player that, you know, might uh, might draw us, you know, if they if they were in a selling mode, I'm sure there'd be some guys on him, but they'll look to add maybe. I'm just not sure. You know, they're a pretty deep forward complement. They've got a solid third line, in my opinion. They've got, you know, a good six-pack defensively. Maybe they bring in, like, a, a depth defenseman only because Marco Scandella uh, has been out for a while. The goaltending's fine. Like, I'm, I'm not sure St. Louis does much at the deadline just because I can't totally identify what they might need there. 
Yeah, not so in Tampa. I think the need is very clear. They're, they are solid in the nets and they're solid on defense. They've got a whole bunch of options back there, assuming that Bogosian comes back healthy. They have eight guys that they can turn to on the back end. So I'm going to focus on the forward ranks where, of course, we've talked favorably of most of the people that they use in the top six. I'd like to see an upgrade in the right wing position where behind Kucherov, you're looking at Matthew Joseph, Taylor Radish, and Corey Perry. Perry's going to be a factor on this team in the playoffs, but destined for bottom six role. They've moved Anthony Sorelli back into a third line checking role, which is probably the right thing to do. And they're going to try and build a unit around him and Ross Colton back there. But I think they're going to need to add one more, one or two more pieces to the bottom six offensively, and then they'll be primed and ready to defend as the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And one of the teams that they may face early on in that challenge is the Maple Leafs. They had a three-and-one week, and you'd think that I'd be all smiles about that, AJ, but uh, they won a, a wild 10-7 affair where they almost blew uh, a lead in a third, a big lead in the third period by giving up four goals to Detroit in a blink of an eye. And then last night, uh, Buffalo came to town the first night where fans can come back to the Scotiabank Arena in months, and the Leafs delivered a stinker of a performance, their worst home ice effort of the season. So every time this team loses, or even when they win a wild affair like the one in Detroit, it seems like the sky is falling here. It's because the fans are so passionate and starved for a winner. It, it's it's taking a lot out of me this season, I'll be honest with you. The second line in Toronto has come in for a lot of criticism of late. Uh, John Tavares on a career-worst goalless streak. He's piled up a lot of assists in the 14 games that he hasn't scored a goal. But people want to see this guy do what he's paid to do, and that's put the puck in the net. And uh, you can see that it's wearing on him. I, I look at this team offensively and I say I'd like to see an upgrade on the on the wing on that second line. I mentioned Alex Kerfoot has been a nice placeholder there, but I think he's ideally suited as more of a depth player on this team. And I'd like to see him in a third line role alongside the likes of Camp and one of Mikheyev and, and, and Engvall. I'm kind of tired of those two guys too because it seems like they can't put the puck in the ocean. They create so many chances for themselves on a nightly basis, but they don't finish and and. I don't see both of them coming back next year. Mikheyev is a guy that's on an expiring deal, so I don't. I think he'll be the odd man out of this mix. They're giving Nick Robertson a bit of an audition as a fourth liner. I don't think. I think that's a waste of time. This guy is a top six talent. If you're not going to give him that opportunity, just keep him in the minors, is my say. And uh, Wayne Simmons will be playing his 1,000th game of the, in the in his amateur career on Saturday, so that's a, a tip of the hat to him from in, the, in this corner. But the news about this team is it. Uh, behind the forward ranks. They have a terrific offense. It's on defense where they're they're not sure what they're doing on a nightly basis. They tried Rasmus Sandin on his offside last night. It was a disaster, and I say it was a bad move. Uh, I've had the coach in my sights all year long for questionable decisions here. You'd think this was a team that was headed for a 500 season. They might finish with the most points in their franchise history, and yet there's question marks on the blue line galore when you consider they added Ilya Lubushkin. They need to add at least one or two more pieces and hope that Jake Muzzin gets healthy. Otherwise, they're going to be first-round cannon fodder again. And one of the two goalies has to emerge, and, and Peter Mrazek didn't grab the opportunity the last night. Jack Campbell's been in a funk, so a lot of things need to be righted here in Toronto, and there's a lot of question marks and a lot of trade talk around this team. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, Paul. I don't know how you transitioned so quickly 
from Tampa to Toronto there. Like I, you were going about Tampa and all of a sudden I thought you were talking, like you were talking Toronto. Like that had to have been the quickest, <laughs> quickest transition. You were just so ready to shred the Leafs after, after that game against Buffalo that I didn't even really catch it. If I'm being totally honest, uh, look, before I, before I lead you into, into Vancouver, give you a second there uh, to catch your breath after the tirade. I do think uh, net minding might be something to, to maybe at least make some phone calls. I don't know that there's a right fit. If you can find anybody that's going to be better, um, you know, Campbell should be your number one. You're obviously not out there looking for somebody to replace him, uh, but you need a better backup in, in my opinion than, than Peter Morazic right now. He, he did have a few good games in there, but yeah, that, that disaster, against Buffalo is not what you want out of him. Uh, a real opportunity missed, as you said. So maybe make some calls on, on netminders uh, is is an option for here. I think obviously getting Andre Kasha back would help um, with some of that depth uh, that, that you're talking about. But, yeah, I agree. Alex Kerfoot, I, I'd rather have him third-line center, um, if I'm being totally honest. He, he did that a little bit more in Colorado. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do th- – I. I see what you're selling in terms of where you think uh, the Leafs need to add. And of course, because it's Toronto, they will be linked to every single player in the NHL who's a potential trade target. It's always the case. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be linked to uh, Thomas Hurdle. Next thing you know, uh, the, you know, Kucherov is on the, uh, you know, being traded up there too. Somehow they'll, they'll make a, They'll find a way to make every player in the league tied to a ter- move to Toronto. <laughs> I'll throw the name out again. Max Domi probably a forward that the Leafs <laughs> would consider. Josh Manson, a guy on defense. And thank you for letting me rant. I'm going to take us to Vancouver now and talk about a team that they need some more of that stardust from Bruce Boudreaux's first few games in, in Vancouver. They've kind of taken a bit of a step back. Who wouldn't? They didn't lose a game for a long while when he started, but they have some nice pieces that they've put together. Elias Pedersen is not getting recognition for the turnaround in his season, AJ. He's still a cheap, cheap value play in DFS play. That could be a tip for some listeners as we get to that segment shortly, Uh, but I, I think he is not getting the accolades that he deserves for finally looking like the guy that he did when he burst on the scene a couple of years ago. They, that gives him a very nice one to a center with Bo Horvat. And the guy who's uh, also in a lot of trade rumors is J.T. Miller. You wonder if Vancouver is serious about moving this guy or would they consider him in a wing position? I don't like the fact that he's in a third-line center role here. I think they can put him on the wing and augment the, the depth of their top two forward lines. I'd like to see him on the top line, in fact. When you consider on the left wing, they got Vasily Podkolzin and Nils Hoaglander there. They're, they're youngsters who they hope to have in a top six role for years here. I just don't think either the of them is ready right now. So that's a move internally that I would like to see. Even Connor Garland, give it, give him another look as a top six forward. They, they've got some experimenting to do and figure things out here, but I don't like the way they've got the, the thing set up in terms of the forward ranks. On the back end, uh, Oliver Eckman Larson has taken a bit of a step backward this season. I don't think there's any doubt, and I don't see him getting an opportunity to get uh, primetime ice uh, on the power play, certainly with Quinn Hughes holding the fort in that regard. And and I'd even say Tyler Myers is a guy that I would rank up above 
uh, Oliver Ekman Larson's overall game right now. So uh, I, I, I have him in the, in my sights just because I thought this would be a great spot for him. It hasn't turned out that well. And uh, I wonder, he's on the books here for a lot of money over the next few years and to just turn the corner at 30 years of age. So he's got some uh, redemption to come through with uh, to make some fans feel better about him. They have something in goal, though. Thatcher Denko uh, looks to me like the next big thing in the NHL. He uh, he makes p- people uh, not regret the departure of Jacob Markstrom, who might be the best, one of the best goalies. In, he is the, one of the best goalies in hockey. But Denko is making a case that hey, don't forget about me. I'd put him in the top ten right now. Well, in Vegas, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. They're they're still in third in in the division, but they are being tracked down right now. Uh, look, one of the things that I said at the start of the year was that they didn't have a backup netminder anymore in or a number two netminder. Now, Robin Leonard came back, played against San Jose, got a win, only faced 17 shots. So not a lot of a taxing effort on there, but that was after a five game absence during which they won one game. They are a Robin Leonard away from not making the playoffs. In, in my opinion, they still are. And it's not helped by the fact that they also have injuries to, you mentioned Mark Stone, indi- you know, some indications he won't be ready until the postseason. Nolan Patrick's been out with an upper body injury. Alec Martinez has been out for a long time. Matias Janmark has got an upper body injury. Max Pacioretty has now again been sidelined for the last two games with a lower body injury. Like they, it's gotten worse than even I would have predicted. Um, but, I, you know, I said very early on that Robin Leonard was the key, and, and if he got hurt, they weren't going to make the playoffs. And, and there's a chance that that could still happen. Obviously, they went out, they got Jack Eichel, four points in six games. Uh, you know, he's just coming back from major neck surgery, being out for a long time. I think four points in six games is really good for him. Now, if he has four points in six games at the end of March – beginning of April, like that's not a good stretch for him. But right now, I think that's really solid production out of Jack Eichel for what you could expect with him coming back. And let's not forget, he's not playing with, you know, Evgeny Dadnoff has had a really bad year. His numbers have not been great. Chandler Stephenson's playing out of position uh, on the wing instead of playing at at center because of some of those other injuries that they've got. Um, So, they're, they're making do with what they have, and uh, it's going to be a really exciting race, I think, in the Pacific, which is not something that a lot of people really expected. I think, you know, a lot of us assumed we knew which teams would make the playoffs from the Pacific, and, and that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Well, in Washington, let's begin with the good news. Anthony Mantha is looking like he's going to be activated off injury reserve. That's a great development for this team because on the same wing, Carl Haglin is dealing with a scary injury around his eye. He, he had eye surgery that's going to sideline him for, I think, an extended period of time. So uh, Anthony Mantha in, Haglin out in their top six. Connor Sheary, uh, an insurance policy there in the bottom six, just like Lars Eller. So I like the depth offensively because the rest of the guys in the top six are bona fide superstars or stars that have been with this team. So I don't think there's much tinkering necessary among the forward ranks. I think they'll do what they always do and find a depth piece on the blue line to support the likes of 
Carlson, Orloff, and Schultz, who kind of hold down the fort. I, I think they have a lot of experience there, but I think they could certainly get a bit more talent on the back end. And in the Nets, uh, Ilya Samsonov is out. You wonder about the concerns that they might have around his situation. I don't really know the extent of it, other than uh, there's an undisclosed injury at this point, AJ. I don't know if you know anything more, but Bidek Vanisic has been a surfaceable par- partner for him, and Zach Bukali is third in the depth chart, so it's those two guys that will hold the fort for the time being. Yeah, with Simsonov, uh, was uh, left practice, did get out and skate, skate after today's uh, game day skate, so that would seem to indicate that it's not a long-term injury, the fact that he's still uh, able to skate today, so probably won't be for too long uh, if even more than than just tonight's game uh, in our last team around the league here the Winnipeg Jets two and one is the record last week um, you know I, I again I mentioned Connor Hellybuck in those two games one and one is the record eight seven zero is the save percentage five for the goals against average simply not good enough I mean especially when you're getting seven points out of Pierre Luke Dubois Uh, In those three games, Kyle Connor had six, Evgeny Svechnikov with five. So they're getting production pretty much throughout the lineup here. They're going to get a boost, it seems like, starting tomorrow. Nikolai Ehlers looks poised to play for the first time since mid-January. He was on a pretty strong run of form, 12 points in 12 games, including seven goals um, before suffering that injury. So that'll give them even more options and I think with the emergence of Sveshnikov, you could put Ehlers, and this looks like what they're going to do in a third-line role, and that makes this a pretty deep team when you consider a third line of Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, and Nikolai Ehlers. There's scoring potential in that group, um, and and I I really like that uh, that strategy for them, and and we'll have to obviously you know monitor how. How Ehlers does coming back from injury. Can Connor Hellybuck kind of figure out his game? He's going to get the bulk of the starts no matter what. I mean, Eric Comrie is not going to challenge Hellybuck regardless of how bad, uh, you know, Helly might play. So uh, I I don't – I guess my point is don't sleep on this team. Uh, they have some significant climbing to do if they want to get in to the mix here in either a Western wild card a spot I doubt they could track down all the way to third in the central. So more likely being in the wild card mix, but with Ehlers coming back, it kind of changes the makeup of this team and has the potential to see them make a bit of a climb here over their last looks like uh, 28 games, give or take. Yeah. AJ that completes what I'll call the state of the union for each NHL club timely. And the fact that, it coincides with the State of the Union delivered by Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, uh, in, earlier this week. So we'll turn our attention now to the DFS fortunes of ourselves and our listeners when we take our best shots at putting together the lineups for ahead of tonight's schedule on DraftKings and FanDuel. I'll let you lead off with your DraftKings picks, partner. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to go pretty heavy Colorado in this one. Uh, their offense is is. Uh, rolling pretty well. They've got a great matchup against Arizona. Um, It's maybe not the best matchup of the night. Uh, That, I think, very easily falls to Calgary playing at home against Montreal. They have the best matchup. Um, So to start it off, I'll go to both those teams. For my centers here, uh, Elias Lindholm for Calgary, 6,100, has just been on a tear lately with the rest of that offense. 
playing on that first line for Calgary alongside, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Chichuk. You got to figure out a way to at least get one of those guys in your lineup tonight, maybe more than one. Uh, my other center, I'm going to go with Nathan McKinnon. I'm going to pay all the way up. He's expensive at 9000 uh, second most expensive center on the board behind Connor McDavid here. Um, but McKinnon's just been too good lately and, and rolling really well. Uh, I'm going to go two wingers from Colorado here then. I'm going to go with Andre Burakovsky, 4,100. He's playing on that top line with McKinnon on the on the left wing side, and that means Gabriel Landeskog, who comes in at 6,400, is actually anchoring a line of his own for Colorado, but he'll still see opportunities uh, with that number one power play unit. And he's playing with Nazem Kadri. It's not like he has a bad center here. Uh, so I think there's opportunities to use both of those guys there. My other winger tonight uh, going cheap is Anthony Mantha, 3,400. He's coming off the IR, going to play tonight for Washington uh, after they, they activated him. Uh, not a great matchup, obviously, playing Carolina, but you're getting – a second-line player for under 4K. He'll be on the number two power play unit, uh, and I just think it's a good price point to, to put him in here. I'm going to go with my utility spot. Going to get another share of Calgary. Just can't leave that team without uh, grabbing some more. And a similar situation to Mantha. He's 3400 same exact price, comes in uh, as a second-line center. His numbers, Backlund, haven't been great this year, but – uh, decent enough and, and it gives you again an opportunity to get a top six guy on a team with a fantastic matchup for under 4k here defensively I start with Darnell Nurse at 5800 this is a guy who actually um, led uh, you know led in shots for like his shots over the last month have been really high compared to the rest of uh, defensemen here the goals and points haven't necessarily been there but he's 5800 it gets you a nice floor in terms of, you know, that those shot totals are really helpful to set the base. He's got a decent number of blocks in there as well uh, and doesn't break the bank for you. And then the other guy I'll go with is Samuel Garrard for Colorado. Comes in at just 3,300, um, partially because, you know, he sees a little bit of time with the number two power play unit. He's not on the number one. Obviously, that's Kale McCarr. But again, you're getting a very cheap share of Colorado for, you know, 3,300 and, and some power play minutes. And then between the pipes, I just couldn't avoid it tonight, Paul. I don't know if you have another option, but I had to go with Markstrom. Like, the guy's been too good, playing too bad of a team. He's playing at home, like 8,500. He's the most expensive goaltender on the slate. And it just doesn't make sense to me to like go down to you could, you know, use Francis is going to go for Colorado. So it's not Darcy Kemper, but you're still paying 84 there. Bobrovsky, you've mentioned the Panthers have struggled a little bit. I think Ottawa, we both kind of feel like that could be a trap game there. He's 83. So it's like you're not saving that much, even if you go with these other guys who just don't have as good a matchup. So for me, it just made sense to use Markstrom at the top. Um, that probably is why I had to use like, you know, a Sammy Garrard, a Mantha and a Backlund. But I think those are all solid plays there as well, um, despite being really cheap options. So that's how I broke it down on DraftKings. A little bit of explanation and how I picked my goaltender tonight. Um, Paul, I look forward to hearing what you're going to do over on FanDuel. All right. Well, I look at my team and it's a combination of a lot of Canadian content and a couple of high scoring teams to boot. 
uh, inter- well, one of the Canadian co- content is a high-scoring team anyway, but the other one is the Florida Panthers. So it's a mix of a few different op- options here. At center, I went cheap too. Uh, Elias Lindholm cost me a lot more than he cost you, though. The price tag on him was $7,700 for a very favorable matchup against Montreal. I think the the Flames could roll them at home tonight with a big score there. So I think uh, the big line will be a factor. I also spoke glowingly of Elias Pettersson. I still don't see him getting the love, even on FanDuel. I expected his price tag to be much higher than $6,000. He gets a good matchup against an Islanders club that's a shadow of its former self that we identified over the last several weeks. And Elias Pettersson is playing at much better than a point-per-game pace in his last 10. So I really like the fit for that match matchup at center as well. On the wing, I spoke of the top line in Florida being really solid for much of the season. And it's kind of a bit of a different look most recently with Mason Marshman getting a top six twirl beside Verhage and Barkov. I use Marshman and Verhage in in this particular lineup, both of them coming in at 55 100 or 5600 for March, but anyway, so not over the top prices, despite the fact you get first line wingers on one of the top scoring teams in the NHL. So sign me up for that. I said that earlier today, too, on a couple of other situations with the DraftKings show. I round out my forward compliment. You hit on something when you spoke of Andre Burakovsky and his opportunity on the first line. I jumped all over that to put him in at $5,700. And I round out my offensive compliment with Andrew Mangiapane, who has the Canadians for lunch every time he plays them, it seems. So that was a a hunch that I'm going to play again. He's coming in at $6,800. I think people that put the price tags on on FanDuel together recognize his history in this matchup. And uh, something about it gets him going. And he's been a consistent goal scorer to boot much of the season. So I like that pick as well. Rounding out my compliment on this roster on defense, Tyson Berry is back to getting a look on the power play in Edmonton, and that's enough for me to say I'll gladly spend $4,200 to see if that power play can click tonight under his direction. They've got a favorable matchup in Chicago, I think. And then I like the way Rasmus Anderson's been playing for much of this season. He's not getting the accolades that I think he deserves, though the price tag is creeping up. And I paid up a little bit to get him tonight when I consider other options. $5,700 the price tag for him against Montreal. As I said, I think it could be points next for Calgary. And in net, I went way off the board, AJ, in terms of people that we haven't talked about much in the last several weeks, but I couldn't shy away from the matchup against your second favorite club, the Philadelphia Flyers. Minnesota rolls into town, and it looks like Cam Talbot's going to get the nod there. Regardless of who starts in the net, that's who I want to play. I want to take out the Flyers tonight as a, as a team that I think is most likely to lose. And so that's where I, where I wound up on the goalie pick. So there we are. We did the State of the Union. We've given you our best bets in terms of the DraftKings and FanDuel environment. AJ, any final thoughts? We, we're looking forward to more rumors. I dropped a couple earlier on in this broadcast. You poo-pooed one, and you kind of liked the other, uh, another one. So <laughs> at least I made you think about a couple of players. <laughs> yeah, it's you know we're, we're getting there. March 21st is the trade deadline, so things will obviously pick up here uh, sooner rather than later, and it'll be an exciting time to uh, – you know, track along and obviously Rotowire is your home for all that latest news, latest and greatest breaking news. You can find that coming out on Twitter um, from the, the Rotowire NHL Twitter handle. You can find that obviously on the site. Uh, if you want to test out the site, I'll throw this in here. I haven't done this for a while, Paul, but if you want a free 10 day trial, you can go to rotowire.com slash free F R E E. 
can get 10 days of access on the house to check out the rest of the site and all the tools that are available for you. Look at the generous offer that this guy's throwing around. Boy, oh boy. For anybody who wants a piece of AJ's money, just uh, remember to hit him up on AJ Schultz <laughs> or on Twitter. That wraps up our look around the league uh, on this episode of Podcast. Thanks for listening to Rotowire's Signature Fantasy Hockey Podcast. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJ Schultz24. And as always, we invite you to listen in the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.